Are you looking for more ways to learn about military and veteran culture? Are you a mental health professional or public health professional without lived experience in the military but find yourself working with veterans? Are you a caregiver or a family member of a veteran? Then you might be interested in a series of books that have been released with you in mind. By going to veteranmentalhealth.com forward slash books, you can check out three books that give you an insight into veteran mental health from a combat veteran perspective. These books are a collection of short, consumable essays that discuss a wide range of topics related to mental health and wellness in post-military life. Head on over to veteranmentalhealth.com forward slash books and check them out for yourself or follow the link in the show notes. Welcome to episode 87 of the Headspace and Timing podcast. I've been talking about it for the past couple of weeks, but I wanted to remind you that we're going to be making some changes in the new year. As of 1 January 2019, you won't find Headspace and Timing on the Change Your POV podcast network. All of the HS&T episodes will be available there, so you can go back and listen if you just recently found us. You'll be able to find the show on iTunes, Overcast, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and several other platforms. You'll have to subscribe to the show wherever you find your podcasts. As always, I want to thank Eddie and Bennett and the rest of the guys at the Change Your POV podcast for helping us launch this critical conversation about veteran mental health. Today, we're having a conversation with Anne-Marie Craig, the co-founder and executive director of the Commit Foundation, an organization whose mission is to help exceptional American service members and veterans into successful roles and careers after their military service. All of the men and women who serve our country know how to make their uniform look good, know how to stand and show up in formation and say, Roger that, and move out and get things done. And so they're really good at doing that from nine to five and then coming home and sort of falling apart as they cross into their home. And and really, my ultimate goal in starting this foundation was, I think, you know, we all deserve to be happy, but certainly the 1% that have chosen to fight on behalf of our country and defend our way of life, you know, if we can't help them feel that purpose on both sides of the house, both personally and professionally, then I think we're just failing. Welcome to the Change Your POV Podcast Network. You're listening to Headspace and Timing, a show dedicated to breaking down the stereotypes about veteran mental health. My name's Dwayne France, and I'm a combat veteran of both Iraq and Afghanistan. After I retired from the Army, I took on a new mission as a clinical mental health counselor for my fellow service members. If you served in any branch of the military, you're familiar with the M2 machine gun, the 50 cal. It's one of the most effective weapons in the military's arsenal. If the weapon's headspace and timing wasn't set right, however, it was just a huge useless chunk of metal. Veterans can be rendered inoperable if their headspace and timing isn't set correctly either. That's my goal with this show, to change the way that we think and talk about veteran mental health and reduce the stigma against seeking support. Each week, we'll talk with mental health professionals, veterans, and those who support veteran service members and their families. We're going to have real and honest conversations about a topic that most just don't like to talk about, veteran mental health. Let's jump into this week's conversation. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Headspace and Timing podcast. Once again, and as always, we really appreciate you taking the time to listen and learn more about veteran mental health and wellness. Uh, I'm really excited. Uh, I always say that I'm excited about the guests, but I'm really excited about today's guests. If those of you who have been following me, you know that I've uh, just recently finished participating in a uh, six-month leadership development program through the George W. Bush Institute. Uh, and one of my colleagues, uh, one of my friends from that program, 
uh, is Anne Marie Craig, and, and I've got to learn a lot about the program and the work that she has done uh, with, with her organization, the Commit Foundation. Uh, as you well know, I really do focus more on uh, the other aspects of veteran mental health, more than just PTSD and TBI. And, uh, and one of the big things is purpose and meaning and how do veterans find purpose and meaning in their post-military life. And that's something that Anne Marie and the Commit Foundation has really, really devoted herself to. Uh, and so we'll get into that. But uh, before we do, Anne Marie, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Dwayne. Absolutely. Anytime. Everybody has a uh, uh, open, open shot to be on the show. Uh, so we, before we start talking about the Commit Foundation, I'd like to give you an opportunity to tell the audience a little bit about yourself and sort of how you got involved in this space. Yeah, so when the events of 9-11 happened, I was working on a PhD and, like many people, took pause and was called to service. Um, I moved to Washington, D.C. and worked for the government for eight years, primarily in a policy and counterterrorism role. I did have an opportunity to deploy a couple times as a targeter with an interagency task force. And uh, so I got to serve at the tip of the spear and also met my husband uh, while serving. He's an Army officer. And um, so, you know, having an opportunity to both serve uh, with the military, but then also marry into it, uh, I think, sort of gave me a unique perspective when it came time to, to think about how I was going to continue to have impact. Right, and and that's something in in uh, I think is as you'd mentioned, you met your husband uh, during a deployment, and so you experienced uh, you know the the military spouse, but also the deployments yourself. Um, and, and when was when was it that you saw that there was a need to sort of address the the after the military aspect? Yeah. Yeah, so I, I started working in this with the special operations community specifically in 2004. I was in Iraq in 05 and 07 and then served in the government until 2010. And um, when I left the government, I, I, did, I, I left because of, I had young kids. I, I did not want to leave the government, but both my husband and I were traveling a lot and one of us had to give and it was me. And as I assessed how to continue to give back, studying the veteran service space, became something that I was interested in doing. And, and as I assessed the organizations out there, and in spite of there being over 40,000 at the time, um, what I saw is that high performers were being overlooked from a services perspective. And when I say high performers, you know, at all ranks, all services, but folks that had done well in the military that people assumed would transition well uh, these men and women were having challenges when it came time to transition. A lot of them were defaulting to careers that they thought were their only options. And they weren't stopping to take, you know, that operational or tactical pause that we take, uh, you know, when we're downrange or hopefully we take it. Um, but they weren't stopping to really think through what they wanted to do and how they wanted to do it and um, what resources they might need to do it. I think one of the biggest things we saw is that many of the men and women suffered from these three gaps, a gap in information, not understanding how their skill sets transfer, a gap in confidence, no matter what they've done in uniform, and finally, a gap in imagination. They simply just weren't taking the blinders off to realize the host of possible when it came to their next career. And so, you know, sat out, 
sat down, wrote a little thought pa- thought piece on the work that we could do. And uh, in 2011, a, a fellow, uh, an army officer and, and friend of mine, um, we started the Commit Foundation together with the goal of ensuring that men and women separating from uniform would have purpose, both personally and professionally, after their time in service. See, and that's outstanding. You know, I, I, as I'm as I'm hearing you, um, those gaps on information, confidence, and imagination they didn't exist when we were in the military. Um, and if you're talking about high performing, you're not specifically talking about special operations. But but if we can look at that uh, specifically, there were mentors, right? There were people that provided the information. Uh, to be able to help them, these are the next steps that you need to do, whether you need to go to special warfare school or, or you need to go to dive you know, school, whatever it is, but they had mentors that were actually giving them the information. Uh, they had developed the confidence, um, and they, they did have sort of the, the imagination. All of that was there when they were in the service. Somehow that doesn't always translate whenever they leave the service. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, you talk about the path, really, on that first point. We we have three lines of operation with the foundation. Uh, two of them apply specifically to transitioning service members. Uh, one is the mentoring workshop, and two is the one-on-one transition assistance. And in the mentoring workshops, when our mentors come in, we have them talk about their paths because, as you alluded to, when you're in the service and you're trying to get to a certain rank or a certain unit, there's a path to do it. You know what you need to achieve to get there. And when you see someone successful in business without knowing their story, a lot of times you don't realize that their path might have been all over the place. And I know my my husband used to talk about land navigation and how, you know, we know how to do this work, right? But when you're sort of thrown out without that support system and the men and women to your right and left that you're used to training with, you might get thrown off a little bit. Um, And and we often, you know, talk about how in Steve Jobs' Stanford commitment speech, he said, you know, when you're going through life, it's it's hard to see that things might be making sense. But when you turn around, you can always connect the dots. And I think when in our programs, when we have our mentors and business executives share their story, it's really heartening and, and confidence inducing to hear that someone, you know, might have pivoted eight or nine times to get to where they wanted to get. And on top of that, that trajectory was probably full of some failure. And so, you know, there are these topics around path that are really important to have with transitioning service members. There's topics around failure. And how, you know, failing fast and failing forward, um, you know, when you're in uniform, failure usually means that someone was wounded or, in, or, or died. And failure really isn't something that we accept. We, we fail in training, right? And, and, and we move through it. Um, so, again, and, and the way we involve mentors in our programs to help them think through some of those things that they leaned on, um, you know, whether it was somebody mentoring you, you know, in the military, you're always sort of working yourself out of a job because you know you're going to get a new assignment, really empowering that mindset once they transition to know that because they've been through these many transitions, because they know how to mentor, because they know how to lead, they too will be successful. They just, you know, it's, it's really interesting that people with so much confidence in uniform can really be stripped of it once that uniform and unit is taken away. And, and I don't think it is the uniform and unit itself, right? I mean, it's not a, a false skin, 
Um, but as you said, it's the uh, familiar environment. It's the people to our right and our left. Um, and, and you didn't even start looking at the veteran transition space until you were outside the gate, so to speak, and you were out of the government, um, that, that there is not just the three gaps that you identified, but the gap between when people were in the service um, versus when they're out of service, um, that that gap needs to be bridged. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I think that we're sort of doing ourselves a disservice by not getting to the left of this and, and maybe starting. Well, a lot of people say you should start transition from the day you join. Right. And and really have uh, services invest individual individuals and in their professional development and really ensuring that they are on a timeline that makes sense when it comes to their transition and that you're really I always say in an ideal world, someone starts to work on their transition you know, uh, with, with real intent about 18 months prior to separation. I think those first six months should be spent on self-identification. You know, the military does a great job of stripping people of their individuality and it serves the mission well, um, but sort of self-identifying again and then about six months of exploration around industry and what their actual skills and strengths and passions and values are and then six months of, of exploration of hard opportunity. Um, and so, yeah, I, I definitely believe we could we could get a little bit ahead of where we are these days when it comes to next steps. See, and that's my own personal experience. And, I, and, and as I look back, as you said, looking back in retrospect, I actually started planning, quote unquote, what I was going to do seven years um, mm -hmm. before I had actually retired, right? And, and it was about 16 years out that I, I said, you know, I know I want to change. I don't want to be, I didn't want to be a truck driver. That's mm -hmm. what I was in the army. I didn't want to drive trucks after. Uh, I didn't want to be a fleet management. I didn't want to stay in logistics or transportation. I wanted to do something different. And so I started, you know, in, in that backwards planning, what do I need to do to get to where I want to go? I'm sitting here with no, with no degree whatsoever, and I know I need a master's degree to do what I want to do. How do I get there? And even with that, those seven years that I planned, um, and then my wife and I decided um, probably um, when I got back from Africa was um, May of that year and we retired August of the following year. So I had about that 18 months and it still didn't feel like long enough for me. And I had a pretty good transition. Um, and, and it's challenging to, to really get people to change their mindset to look at that kind of reinvention of themselves. Well, I applaud you because I, after being in this business for seven years, I think you're an anomaly. The fact that you were thinking about it seven years out, um, and yeah, I mean it, it's it's a little. I think a lot of people think it, particularly those that are a little bit longer in the tooth that, that are twenty plus. I think a lot of those guys think it's going to be a lot easier to transition than it is. Um, sometimes, unfortunately, some of our most talented guys, you know, that are getting out at 06 with PhDs and tremendous careers have a really hard time readjusting. And so, um, again, I, I think you're an anomaly in that you took the time to, to think it through. You know, and, and that's an excellent point. We actually had uh, General Don Bolduck on the show uh, about a month ago. Uh, and he said exactly the same thing. He said that you would think that uh, me getting out as a, a general officer, um, the transition would be easy, but it, it really wasn't. Um, and if it's not easy for me, it's not easy for the people who aren't me. Uh, and, and his focus was really like we need to pay attention to uh, the psychological impact of, of our services 
um, and, and, and bring that into transition. And that's what the Commit Foundation does, um, is, is you do understand the psychological as well as the, the personal and the, the, um, the employability and everything else. For sure. Uh, I'm a huge fan of Donnie Bulldog and his brother Dave. I was blessed to work with both of them in the Pentagon years ago. Um, and, you know, I, and, and I appreciate how Don is an advocate for the mental health side of our work. Um, I won't lie to you, and it probably took me a while to admit this, um, but about, let's see, about 10 months into working um, the the foundation, you know, I'm laying in bed sort of staring at the ceiling and realizing that I had about 86 transitioning service members in my queue, but the one that needed the most help was lying right beside me. Um, my husband uh, had a pretty significant traumatic brain injury in 2005 in Afghanistan, didn't really share the effects of it with me until about seven years later. I had been noticing a lot of things over two years. So, you know, I, I know more about the mental health side and more about traumatic brain injury and post-traumatic stress than, than, I, than I care to um, in all candor. But a lot of it was very much driven from my own home and, and our own experience. Um, you know, we unfortunately lost a dear friend who was a Marine to suicide in 2015. And so while I'm don't consider myself a subject matter expert by any means on TBI or PTS. I, I do know a good bit about it and have participated in some brain work. And um, I'd like, I really do like to believe that the Commit Foundation, Foundation takes a non-clinical approach to mental health and that by ensuring men and women who are getting out take the time first to, again, assess what their values are, assess the type of life that they want to lead, you know, really think through how are they getting to work? What are they wearing to work? How many times are they picking their kids up? Are they coaching Little League? All of these things about really building a life with the elements that make you what you are. If you don't stop and think about that and all you focus on is how much you're going to make and what your salary is, you know, everything else is going to fall apart. And so I do think that the work that we do, we have LCS, like, you know, LCSWs that, that work on our team. We have a dozen executive coaches that help our uh, program participants, you know, work through designing a purposeful life before we even start to focus on the industry piece and, you know, where they're going to be working and at what level they should come in and what their salary should be, because that stuff is important. But I just I'm a big believer that if you don't focus on sort of owning your journey before, you know, and, and, and you know, certainly getting the help that you need if you need it. Um, and that's not an easy thing to do, unfortunately. And I think even in today's environment, you know, not, it's great that we have NICO. It's great that a lot of folks can get treatment prior to separation. Some of the guys that separate before they own their combat stress, I think sometimes it's a little bit harder for them to get after what they need. Um, we do have some relationships with the Center for Brain Health and the Marcus Institute and, you know, want to continue to grow best in class ecosystem so that we can make smart referrals um, and get folks to the clinical help that they need. But the Commit Foundation definitely, I think, you know, operates in the non-clinical side of mental health by really ha help, helping people understand 
and prioritize what it is that's important to them so they can take that into their next life. Well, sure. It's, it's preventative, right? I mean, if, if you use a, a personal trainer, you're not going to injure yourself and require a physical therapist, right? If you engage with a nutritionist, you're not going to get to the point where you need, you know, somebody to help you with diabetes, right? And so it, the Commit Foundation and, and organizations that try to help veterans um, to, to take care of these things before they become a crisis um, ensures that those individuals who are truly at a crisis point or beyond um, can get the help that they need. Um, and, and that sounds a lot like what you're doing is you, you're, you're heading things off the path before they get too far, while at the same time being able to help those who, who as you said, who do need the help, um, get to the help that, they, that could benefit them. Yeah, you're right. I, I mean, we really pride ourselves on ensuring we know who the right people are to make referrals. Um, I think the veteran service space does itself a disservice when an organization tries to solve it all or build a program to solve the next challenge, and that we as individual organizations need to focus on doing what we do well. And Commit does people and relationships really well, and we get to know people and we meet them where they are, and we build solutions around them. And a lot of that involves partners, right? A lot of it involves we work very closely with the station. I live in Bozeman, Montana, and we work very closely with the Station Foundation out here, which is a, a program that uh, focuses on the integration, reintegration of a soft warrior back into his family. Um, and, you know, that's just one example. We, we work with service to school when it comes to education. You know, I've already mentioned the folks that we turn to for, for brain um, work and again, it's really about building sort of a coalition of, of experts across the space to help solve the various challenges. See, and, and that's very beneficial. But one thing that you mentioned before um, that that you really focus the the Commit Foundation focuses on um, is trying to bring meaning and purpose back, both personally and professionally. Um, and this is, um, as, as longtime listeners know, that this is something that that I harp on that. You know, veteran mental health also includes mental wellness, and it goes beyond just PTS and TBI. Um, it includes um, finding that meaning and purpose. Um, we, when we were in the military, and even, you know, as you served, Anne-Marie, you felt me, you didn't want to leave the government because it had so nope. much meaning and purpose, right? You, you were, uh, in, in many ways, probably at, at the point of history more than I was even. Um, and... And somehow, or, or, you know, when we leave the military, we lose that meaning and purpose. And the Commit Foundation is, is, is really focused on instilling that again. Yeah, yeah. And, and I'll tell you, I mean, I think one of the greatest things about our team is our authenticity. I tell my team all the time that if a program participant were to have a transactional experience with our organization, that we might as well shut our doors. Again, I, I think that it's really important that organizations that are serving our veterans are not prescriptive about the work, that they meet men and women where they are in their journey and really tailor solutions to them. You know, we preach that the, the veteran service space inaccurately measures itself on it, the quantity served rather than the quality of its service. And so um, that is a drum that you will always hear both me and just everybody that is a part of the organization preach because 
with 200,000, and if you want to include garden reserve, up to 250,000 people transition in a year. When you think about the amount of resources and time and energy and people and projects and programs that we throw at that transitioning population, um, you know, we really are missing the mark by not stopping and doing that on an individual level and instead just focusing on math. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> so, in, in when you mentioned, you know, you don't want people to have a transactional experience with the Commit Foundation, I, I, I assume you might mean, um, you know, here's my DD-214 and you get a resume back. Or when you, when you mean about a transactional experience, what are you talking about? Yeah, well, so a couple of examples, and and I'll preface this by, um, you know, one of my first big takeaways when I was assessing the space was never talk poorly about other organizations because it just Mm -hmm. doesn't help us get down the ball down the field. But but some of our government programs, I think, because they are sort of uh, delivering to a mass population at scale, they sort of teach to the lowest common denominator, or, I mean, you know, our education system can (laughs) sometimes suffer from that, too, but... But it's not, you know, it just, it's, you can't take a one size fits all approach, which is what you see a lot in what the government delivers. And then on top of that, um, you know, with some of the, some of the larger organizations that might put on hiring fairs, you know, I just, I feel I've been to them. I've signed up as a veteran spouse in transition and attended some of these events. And you feel like cattle being herded through a room and seeing if anything sticks. And, you know, even if you could just help prepare the people that go to those programs, you know, on, on maybe how to be strategic in their engagement at at those events. I mean, that's certainly something that we do if we hear one of our program participants is going to attend something like that. Um, you know, or how how you take the best nuggets without getting frustrated in the midst of programming that, again, is designed for the masses. And so when I talk about not being prescriptive, you know, I, I think we miss the mark when, when we're not treating men and women in transition as individuals. Um, sure, you can create programs where there is mass interest or you can scale when you see something working, but I think you always need to be agile and you always need to, to, to be thinking, how can I improve this program? How can I improve upon the curriculum so that we can improve the results of those in transition? And, you know, Dwayne, something interestingly enough, we, I was talking with my team this morning. One thing that we're noticing is transition requirements are going to change pending the op tempo of the force. Like from 2012 to 2016, we had a lot of very talented junior military officers getting out at the 8 to 12 year mark because they had been running so hard since 9-11 and all their leadership marriages were falling apart and all these other, you know, sort of things were, were, weren't showing them a shining path. And so we had a lot more junior guys getting out in that time frame. And I think now that you've got a lot of folks that aren't necessarily having those combat uh, deployments that you're going to see people that are a little bit longer in the twos maybe getting out. I know a lot of our programs recently have been a lot more 20 plus um, coming through our workshops. And so, you know, that, that, that delivery model and what those men and women need is very different than a guy who's 32, um, you know, who's thinking about his next career. So it, that's just an example of, of like how the programming has to stay agile and can't be prescriptive and can't be a one size fits all approach. 
And I think it has to be uh, the same on on the outside, right? We have to understand what, quote-unquote, the operational environment is on the outside. Um, uh, supporting a service member in employment in 2018 is very different than it would have been in 2009, right? Just because of yeah. the economy and, the, you know, and so we would have to understand what, uh, you know, what the differences are. Um, I, I really, you know, that idea of um, the military does to the transition planning what we do to eggs and potatoes. We just, <laughs> you know, boil it and, and just serve it up to everybody in mass. And, and you're right, it doesn't really, um, you know, it, it maybe, you know, fills you up, it checks the box, but it's not really very effective. And so it's it's critical, and, and it's it's great to hear that that's what the, the Commit Foundation um, is doing. You mentioned that you had gone to um, some of the hiring fairs, and, and I actually went to my first hiring fair um, before I even dropped my retirement paperwork. I, I did the same, sort of scouted it out um, and saw what it looked like. And, and, and I recall that you told me a story one time that illustrated how stressful um, the transition process is or these career fairs were. Yeah. Yeah, um, I imagine you want to, the the story about the young woman I found. Um, so I was at I, w- I went to one in Seattle and um, actually had to take a phone call for work and, and stepped into the bathroom because it was the most quiet place in the stadium. And there was an army specialist, a young woman, and she was uh, with child, and she was in there hyperventilating, about to have a total meltdown, and she just she couldn't handle the atmosphere. And it just left me thinking, like, Lord, is, I mean, is this what we're creating with these things? Here we're trying to offer solutions. Um, I, I, again, I, I, I think we really miss the mark as, um, you know, as a country. You've got less than 1% of the population serving. And if, if we can't think collectively how to, how to better serve, better transition these few men and women that defend, you know, the, our lifestyle – um, you know, it's just shame on us. Right. And, and with the number of, you know, nonprofits, I mean, and this is the, again, a, a story that we've been singing for the past six months, how much better could it be if we all got along? There would be enough who would be able to serve. And, and so not to have a stadium full um, that overwhelmed, um, you know, and, and I guarantee you that, that, you know, that young female soldier, um, there was probably a male soldier who was, uh, you know, wigging out in the latrine because he couldn't handle the crowds, right? I mean, it just there's, there's, there's so the leaving the military, something that we enjoyed, um, that we love to do, uh, was that's so difficult in and of itself. But then trying to figure out how we're going to navigate this unknown terrain without the brothers and sisters, as you mentioned earlier, that's stressful enough. And here we are having our solutions create more stress. But if we were able to come together and have things happen in a comprehensive way, as you were talking about earlier, using your networks, it'd be a lot easier. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think, you know, you've mentioned the Bush Institute program a few times, and there were 33 of us. And I think it really just brought to light how if you bring a group of people that check ego at the door and really focus on solutions and and moving the ball forward in each of our realms of, of, of expertise, we can really create change. And I'm excited to see what we all do with that. It's only been a couple of weeks, so give us some time. <laughs> so, and we've talked a lot about, you know, sort of the Commit Foundation and, and you know, 
the goals and things, but, but maybe you can help, um, help the audience. What actually does the Commit Foundation do? It does great things, um, you know, when it comes to meaning and purpose, but what are the programs that you have? Yeah, so we have uh, mentoring workshops, one-on-one transition assistance, and corporate education. The corporate education is, is, you know, where we diversify revenue for the foundation a little bit and help companies build programs. Um, we built the program at Guggenheim Partners, their VTAP, as well as some other strategic initiatives. We spent a year at Facebook overhauling their veteran initiatives. We worked with Palantir and SpaceX and Nike and a handful of companies that have a broad, you know, very diverse uh, set of goals when it comes to veteran hiring and certainly retention and empowerment, which is something we focus on. But the two service offerings that, you know, focus specifically on our veterans is our transitioning service members is one-on-one transition assistance which is unique in that we build solutions around people. Um, you know, we might have you come in and you have no idea where you want to start. And so we're going to have you read the book Designing Your Life, which is a book we took out of the Stanford Design School that we have our program participants work with. And, you know, we'll assign you a life coach and we'll really start peeling back and assessing uh, you know, what your goals are, what ma- when you experience flow, what your life values and work values are, and how we're going to make that present in your post-service life. And, you know, I truly believe that that is a part of transition that just not enough organizations focus on. And so we'll do some of that soft skills work, if you will, and then an assessment of the hard skills, right? So like if you want to get into business and you don't know how to do uh, financial modeling and that's going to be a requirement for, you know, a position you're looking at, then we will send you to training the street or to do some work with Coursera or General Assembly or you know, we've built two general management certification programs, one at Stanford and one at Dartmouth. And, um, you know, maybe we need to ensure that you've got marketing and comms and some general management uh, skills so that you can be more effective in business. Um, you know, someone else might come in and know hands down that they want to be a consultant, but they don't know how to do case-based interviews. So we might just start with them doing case-based interview coaching. So again, we're really big about tailoring solutions to people. Very early on, people used to question whether we could scale that or not. I think we're proven that we can. And our goal is to, to spread that message and that process across the space so that more people will take a one-on-one approach when it comes to transition. And then the mentoring workshops and these two service offerings are not mutually exclusive. And I think one beautiful thing about Commit is that, you know, if you want to participate in our services and, you know, there's not a workshop until October, like you could start in one-on-one transition, you know, in June and and then go to a workshop when it made sense. Uh, We do about 10 workshops a year, um, but the one-on-one transition is a constant and so um, people can enroll in either program. The mentoring workshops are two-day events um, all across the country. Um, we let our program participants drive our services and drive our programming. So, you know, we've done programs in Houston because we've had a lot of folks interested in energy, oil, and gas. Annually, we do a program in Silicon Valley because there's always such a desire for folks to get to the tech scene. 
Um, so those two-day events, day one is veteran or transition service member only. And it's led by a coach and facilitator. And we work through some really incredible and empowering exercises that help people design that life that we've been talking about um, with purpose. And then that night and the next day, we begin to integrate mentors. And mentors are business professionals that are selected based off the desired career paths of the workshop cohort. And we don't necessarily do, you know, practice an interview or, you know, speed dating or anything like that. We do, we, we've sort of pride ourselves in creating an intimate environment where quality dialogue can happen and people's trajectories are changed. And so we have them talk about their paths. We have them talk about their failures. We have them talk about how they overcame crisis and private sector and all the topics selected are very deliberate to fill those three gaps that I mentioned at the beginning, the gap in information, the gap in confidence and the gap in imagination. And, you know, I think we've become pretty darn gifted in 180ing out someone quickly, you know, giving them hope, helping them, you know, feel that they can conquer what it is that they want to do, making them realize that like the only thing that matters is that they're happy and that when they cross that threshold from their professional life into their personal life, that their home is what it needs to be. Um, and that, you know, Dwayne, that sort of hits on this sort of non-clinical approach to mental health as well, because all of the men and women who serve our country know how to make their uniform look good, know how to stand and show up in formation and say, Roger that, and move out and get things done. And so they're really good at doing that from nine to five and then coming home and sort of falling apart as they cross into their home. And and really my ultimate goal in starting this foundation was I think you know we all deserve to be happy, but certainly the 1% that have chosen to fight on behalf of our country and defend our way of life, you know, if we can't help them feel that purpose on both sides of the house, both personally and professionally, then I think we're just failing. So it's, it's a big passion of mine and is certainly what underlies and, and drives our programming. It is. I mean, and it is an obvious passion and, and it would need to be, one would need to be passionate uh, to be able to do this because it, it, it does take a lot to, to help individuals, like you said, number one, you know, we don't like to think that we're not confident, although, you know, uh, we're not um, when we leave the military. Um, but also just that idea of, of striking out and doing something different than we did for the last 20-something years, not just different career-wise, but different culturally, right? You know, so I can go to a different career in the same culture. That's not a problem. Or I can go to a culture to culture if I have the same career, um, it, like you said earlier, you know, a lot of, um, if we think high performers, when I was in um, uh, North Africa, we had a couple of uh, civilian contractors who were former SS guys um, that uh, were just there to sort of draw up the operations plans and uh, for, the, for the opposition forces, that they were simply just doing what they had done when they were in the military, uh, and they were just sort of, you know, treading water until the next gig came along. And, and what Commit Foundation what, what you're trying to do is say there's, there's more out here than just this narrow path that you've been walking. Let's find out what you really want to do, not what you feel like you have to do. Yeah, you know, I always say that 
it really changes your disposition. If you think about between now and when I need to start employment, and that date's going to differ based off someone's financial situation, et cetera. Between now and then, I'm going to create as much opportunity for myself as possible. If you think about it that way, rather than, God, I need to find a job. Like, I got to find a job before 1 December. You tend to be a little bit myopic if, if you're just thinking about finding a job. But if you can think about, gosh, I'm going to assess like what I really want to do and what would make me happy and fill my cup. And like for the first time, the U.S. Army isn't telling me where I have to go or the U.S. Navy isn't telling me what I have to wear and where I have to be. I mean, this is a blank canvas and it actually doesn't have to be daunting. It can be empowering. And so I think, you know, we help people work through, you know, we're, we're blessed to have a team of wicked coaches that help them work through that empowerment and creating as much opportunity for yourself so that, you know, you have four to six offers on the table and accepting one's hard, but telling the other five that you've really created rapport with that you're not going to work for them is just as difficult. And, and we think that if you take that mindset to it, um, that, again, you, you, you carry yourself a little differently. And after working in the space for so long, like, I can just see it. I can see combat stress written on someone's forehead if they've got it. But I can also see that stress and concern of just not knowing what's next. And I think one of the coolest things is just owning the fact that it's okay not to know. You know, in the military, you always know what's next. And so they're just used to it. I think sometimes we're really big fans of people taking that pause, saying, you know what, I'm not quite sure what I'm going to do next. I'm going to take the next three to six months to explore my opportunities and create some, you know, amazing ones for, for me and my family to think about. And I'll let you know. And I think people have to get comfortable saying that. And once they are, I feel like they're, they're, their load's a little bit lighter. I think there's, though, a benefit um, to be able to have someone to help navigate that, right? I mean, it's it's much um, more challenging to let go of the trapeze when I don't see the other one in front of me if I don't feel like I have a net, right? But if, if I know that um, there's someone, the Commit Foundation, to be able to say, hey, this is, you know, it's okay. This is not like you're going to, you know, give them a paycheck for six months, but that, that you can say this is, this is how things have gone in the past. Um, in, in that navigation piece, not the navigation piece in that, you know, you need someone to lean on, but you just need somebody to be able to help help you get used to the new operational environment. Yeah, I think very early on with Commit, we learned that the best gift that you can give someone, and I would argue this is veteran or non-veteran, but the best gift you can give someone is a coach. And I think that if people turn down, if, if service members in transition turn down the offer for a coach, that they're making a big mistake. It is a huge asset to have a third party that has zero cards in your game that has the tools to help you think through things, like use them to your benefit. And if you get offered one coach from the Commit Foundation and another coach from, you know, the Honor Foundation, use them both. Use them for different things. I know coaches that have, excuse me, transition service members that have used one coach to work through personal stuff and a, the other coach to work through some professional stuff or maybe a salary negotiation or, you know, honing in on what my three goals should be. I just, it is 
such a tool to work with a coach who has the the uh, resources to help you move the ball down the field. It's it's all, everyone that comes to our program gets offered a coach, and I just feel uh, really blessed to be in a position to offer that to them. No, and I couldn't agree more. And you know, it, it, semantics, a coach, a mentor. Um, I, I absolutely uh, would not be where I am if it weren't for my mentor. We had her on the show, uh, Danette Patterson. Um, but as you said, somebody who has no vested interest in anything else other than your benefit and your success. Um, uh, I, I consider my clinical director at my job now. She is a mentor of mine, but she's not going to recommend that I start looking at other jobs because she wants me to stay where I'm at, right? You know, she wants me to continue um, working with her. And, I, you know, and so having someone on the outside who's not going to, you know, in many ways uh, limit what advice they're giving you, but they're also going to tell you the the real deal. The you know the the emperor ain't got no clothes, and you need to focus on this other thing. Uh, so I, I I wholeheartedly support exactly what you said. Yeah, we are really I'm I'm excited. In January of 2019, the Commit Foundation is launching a new web platform where um, people will be able to participate in our workshops online, curate mentor panels online. And most importantly, we've built a veteran transition coaching platform, which is a seven-step program that involves about 10 hours with an executive coach. Again, all of these these things at no cost to transitioning service members. And we've spent, you know, this year in beta, we've taken about 100 people through the program. And we're really excited about V2 and, and what we plan to launch in 2019. I think we'll be able to affect people more deeply and, you know, efficiently um, in their transitions. This is, uh, this is great. And uh, just looking through your website here, you have a, a robust digital library, and I can't imagine how, uh, how much more robust it will be when you roll out the new platform. So that's great. Yeah, it's pretty exciting. It's going to look a lot different than it does today. So um, as uh, as people want to see the new platform, uh, where can they find the Commit Foundation online? www.commitfoundation.org. Absolutely. And I'll make sure those uh, that link is in the show notes. And if somebody wanted to connect with you specifically, do you have uh, social media or does Commit have social media where uh, where veterans or service members can reach out? We do. We have a Facebook page, you know, that's the Commit Foundation. We're on LinkedIn and Instagram. Anyone can feel free to write me at Anne Marie, uh, A-N-N-E-M-E-R-E-E at CommitFoundation.org. Um, and again, I'm, I'm really blessed this year. We've doubled our team. We've tripled the numbers served, and we've got a pretty incredible uh, group of individuals that are standing by to serve men and women in transition. Because they have a pretty incredible leader. <laughs> You're kind. Thank you, Dwayne. No, it's been great. I, I really appreciate uh, uh, coming on the show and and just uh, the idea of um, you know mental health and wellness. It doesn't have to be sitting in a therapy office. Um, you can actually get a handle in these things so it doesn't get to a crisis point. So, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks, Dwayne. You're listening to Headspace and Timing on the Change Your POV Podcast Network. I'm glad to have been able to have Anne-Marie on the show. As she mentioned, the Commit Foundation focuses on wellness, but not in a direct clinical way. 
Not every veteran needs to sit down and talk to a mental health counselor any more than you need to take your car into the shop for a tune-up or overhaul every week. Sometimes, sure, there's more going on under the hood or in your head, and we need to take it to someone who can apply a bit of expertise, but sometimes it just takes someone who's been farther down the path than you to help show you the way. Anne-Marie talks several times about the three gaps, the gap in information, the gap in confidence, and the gap in imagination. When I tell people that I wasn't a mental health professional when I was in the Army, they're often surprised. Many veterans feel like they should just continue what they were doing in the military, and others in the veterans community feel the same way. It took me seeking mentors and coaches to give me the information I needed to avoid making mistakes, to give me the confidence to step out into the unknown, and to show me what else was possible, to pick my head up and help me imagine a different future. The Commit Foundation is an organization that is trying to operationalize serendipity and show high-performing veterans that there's a whole world of possibilities after the military services ended. Thanks again for taking time to listen to this conversation. You can find the show notes for this episode and all the episodes at VeteranMentalHealth.com. So next week is Christmas Day 2018. It'll all be the last Tuesday of the year, the last Headspace and Timing episode of the year, and the last episode that you're going to find on the Change Your POV podcast network. I'll still be hanging out with the guys. As a matter of fact, the first episode of the new year and the new platform will be the guy that started this whole mess, Eddie Lazary. Next week, though, I'll be taking a look back at 2018 and maybe even beyond that and give a look at the new changes. Until then, stay focused and be well. I'd like to thank the Change Your POV Podcast Network for hosting this show and highlighting the critical importance of veteran mental health. We want to hear from you. You can reach out to me via email at duane at veteranmentalhealth.com. You can find me at Twitter at The Counseling Vet or head on over to Facebook and look for the Change Your POV Squad. You can find the show notes for this episode and all the episodes by going to veteranmentalhealth.com or changeyourpov.com. Sign up for updates on either or both so you don't miss another episode. While you're at it, check out the other great shows on the Change Your POV Podcast Network. The show about remembering our military history and reviving our warrior spirit, changing hearts and minds. The show about outdoor activities that us veterans love so much, Neophyte in the Woods. The show that helps us get going at the beginning of the week, Motivation Monday. And Attack Fridays, the show that brings you actionable tips, tricks, and coachable knowledge to help you make the best of your transition. While you're checking out the other shows, drop us a review in iTunes or whatever podcast platform you're listening to. The reviews really help spread the word about what we're doing. If you're looking for the total package for all the information you need to live the life you want after leaving the military, you found it. If you know of a buddy who's looking for the same info, share it with them so they can find it too. I want to thank Doc Todd for his permission to use his track, Not Alone, from his amazing album, Combat Medicine. Doc Todd is somebody who's trying to bring veteran mental health out of the darkness and into the light, and you can get the album by going to therealdoctod.com. Check it out. Because remember, veterans, you're not alone. Ever. The struggle is real. Found a piece and lost a soul. Eventually, my drinking, it got out of control. There in darkness, I roam, struggling to find home. See, suddenly, death didn't feel so alone. 22 a day, destination unknown. It could have been avoided if you picked up the phone. But now you're gone, so I guess all we get Nothing but bone weeds overgrown, pushing up stones. I've triumphed over enemies, co-creating enemies, broke out facilities that try to put an end to me. RIP, I'd rather grind in tranquility. Often in Tennessee, embrace my ability.
love you guys. Take those bottles out, dog, and pour them in the sink. Take the needles out your arm and the gun away from your forehead. It's time, man. You've been through enough pain. Stand up. It's time to stand back up. All my veterans, man. Army, Marine Corps, Navy, Air Force, Coast Guard. Get up. You know. Are you looking for more ways to learn about military and veteran culture? Are you a mental health professional or public health professional without lived experience in the military but find yourself working with veterans? Are you a caregiver or a family member of a veteran? Then you might be interested in a series of books that have been released with you in mind. By going to veteranmentalhealth.com forward slash books, you can check out three books that give you an insight into veteran mental health from a combat veteran perspective. These books are a collection of short, consumable essays that discuss a wide range of topics related to mental health and wellness in post-military life. Head on over to VeteranMentalHealth.com forward slash books and check them out for yourself or follow the link in the show notes.